about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. You know when you hear that, it's worst gig ever. Hey guys, I'm Mike Pace. And I'm Jeff Garlock. This week we have Jared Van Fleet, who you may know from such vans and bands <laughs> such as he works for vans. Yeah. And he was in a van spelling He vans. was in a van for many years with Voxtrot. Uh, he also played with Beirut, and he's currently playing in a band called Yellow Ostrich. Yeah, I didn't say in the uh, when we were talking to him, but Beirut is one of the names that my stepmother used to bring up all the time because there must have been one article in some Connecticut newspaper talking about the Brooklyn scene. Oh, and, and it, so Beirut were her it reference was just point. Like, for years, it was like her reference point. It was just like, do you know that Beirut? Like, and I'm like, yeah, I told you. Brooklyn's a world. Yeah, yeah. And he is. We hear about that world in this interview. Why aren't you doing as well as the Beirut guy? Yeah. Those Beiruts seem to be doing yeah. great. The Beiruts come up quite a bit on the show. <laughs> also of note, Jared and I actually work together. Yes. And so we get into a very interesting story about... Work. I mean, it's not really a story. It's kind of a conversation about balancing work and playing music and what that means in today's world when you're you a guys touring work musician. Hard. And you play hard. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Sometimes at the same time, which is which is amazing. So Jared is a very sweet, smart guy who who has a lot to say, and I think you're going to love it. I also think you're going to love almost all of our 100. Almost. I was about to say, you're going to love... Yeah, let's rephrase let, that. Blah, blah, blah. I was about to say, I think you're going to love all of our... I think you're going to... Almost. Gonna, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> I think you're going to love all of our almost 100 episodes, which you can listen to at worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. We are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Facebook, wherever great podcasts are sold. You can find us. You can also email us, worstgigever at gmail.com. You can check out the Worst Gig Twitter mm-hmm. at Worst Gig Ever. You can also talk to our individual ones at Mike E. Pace at G. Garlock. You can also check out our web show. That's right. Worst Gig Ever is on the web, youtube.com. <laughs> Hear the confidence in my voice. YouTube.com backslash official comedy. Look up Worst Gig Ever and you will find uh, seven episodes seven of episodes. greatness. It's great stuff. Also, if you go to tweakedaudio.com, you can get a fabulous pair of headphones. We, we talk about how great these headphones were before we started taping, so I don't even know why I mentioned that. But, yeah, uh, but, it's, good, but it's out there in the ether, and now we deal with it. Go to tweakedaudio.com, enter the promo code WORST, and you will get one-third off of your purchase of a pair of fantastic headphones for you and your listening pleasure. You're going to like the way you listen. Look, yeah, and uh, none of that stuff really was was, was, was was working, but we said it anyway. Uh, but you know what does work? What's great about this, we talk a lot about lifestyles in this episode. We also talk a lot about death styles. <laughs> you know, the thing I was thinking about lifestyles is that they do truly determine your death style. And if there's one person who can expound on that, it's Jared Van Fleet on this week's Worst Gig Ever. Hoo-ah, 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 hoo-ah. 
used to play in a band called Beirut. And after that, I was back playing with my friend Ramesh, who was the lead singer in a band called Voxtrot that I play with. And uh, we did some shows opening for Beirut, um, which is already kind of a funny, you know, situation because they're like still my friends. But like, you know, now we're kind of like the openers are going to go on later. And whenever you're opening, you know, you're you're kind of giving a sales pitch. Like if you're performing, right. you know, and you're headlining, you're bringing people a delivery. Like that's Amazon sure. showing up at their door. They've wanted this, you know, <laughs> but like when you're, <laughs> but you're, you're canvassing when you're an yeah. opener, like you're there, like, you know, can I have a few minutes of your time? And you've got something to prove. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You're the Amazon service where they're going to predict <laughs> what you want that they're trying to get right. going. Exactly. Yeah. You're you're like, I don't want this lug wrench. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You know, related items. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> recommended if you like. Yes. Exactly. So we're playing at a um at a show in uh it's in Houston, Texas, actually, on Halloween. Um and it was it was a you know a big place. And I guess this is this is gonna be anticlimactic after that beginning, but it was mostly an issue of just like sound, which you can't complain about in any kind of case when you're in a show. You always look like an asshole if you're complaining about like sound issues throughout the whole show. But I couldn't hear anything and i'm playing there's a song that i helped with ramesh's uh album that is all piano and strings and mm -hmm. like i basically kind of wrote and orchestrated this thing so i wasn't living you know with in austin at the time like i kind of like flew down did a couple rehearsals with them he had a couple string players we're like all right we're gonna throw this together make it happen um and we go to play the the song and like the string players are there's three of them they're all kind of near me so i hear that they're playing the parts it all sounds fine but i can't hear anything in the monitors and all i'm playing on piano is a very basic like four triads softly in a row and i but i hear nothing in the monitors and finally like you know the show ends I mean, people's faces by the way i should say when we finish this song were like the ones that were facing us <laughs> were just you know dumbfounded like, what is going on? I was like, I guess they didn't appreciate this soft, sensitive moment of a string quartet, you know, breaking up a, a rock set. But then I, I found out later when I was off stage from my friends in Beirut that the strings were just not being mic'd at all. Like, oh. they had, <laughs> like, yeah. the sound guy just had no idea. In fact, there was no light on them. Like, they were beset. So there was just a, a light on me playing a digital keyboard, <laughs> just four chords for three minutes. Like, it was your Elton John meets minimalist classical. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it was solo. Yeah, yeah, it was sort of. A, yeah, well, you're sort of like the, the Glass, guy John playing Cage, the guy know. playing the acoustic guitar in Animal House <laughs> yeah, on the right. steps, just like yeah. inappropriate. And, yeah. So yeah. Fortunately, I was unaware of that at the time, you know, because you try to kind of keep some sure, face yeah. on, but that's almost more embarrassing. Like yeah. I haven't looked up video of it, but I would love to see my face as I'm really getting into certain moments of the song <laughs> that are just just those yeah. four chords. So. Um, can you hear them while this is that? Like, I mean, the strings. Yeah, I like, can hear the strings because you're on stage, exactly, right. yeah. yeah, and they're right next to me. But it's a huge venue, yeah, probably yeah, yeah. like you know, 2,500 people, right? Um, like a Webster Hall size right. deal. Um, so yeah, they like nobody else could could hear it. Um, yeah, or bigger than Webster. I don't know. But you don't find out about that until afterwards. yeah, until after the show. And I feel like there's a lot of um, shows where it went the other way around too. You know, there's a lot of shows that you play that just like sound. You're certain that it's terrible, and then you finish the show, and like even people who you know whose opinion you respect who play music who get it we're like no the sound was amazing in the house so, you know so i always try to assume the best because yeah. if you're up there looking pissed off and like right you know frustrated and it actually sounds good to the audience then it's just like 
you know, because yeah, you do come across as that asshole at a certain yeah. point. If you every time you come off, you're just like, oh, it's terrible. It's yeah. not you're like garbage. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. like, all right, well, then we just won't talk. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, it's it, that yeah. it's it, that's an interesting story that you bring up, and I don't know if I've brought it up, but actually, Pitchfork 2007, when Oxford Collapse played right. with Voxtrot, yeah. we had a similar thing where like the speaker, whatever was miking the guitar, like. um was blown this is coming after mm. like a, a day's worth of set so like unless you were standing right up front yeah. like you couldn't hear the like it, it kept cutting out and i didn't realize this as we were playing one of the biggest shows we'd ever played up to that point and i find out afterwards that like you couldn't hear the guitar like through most of the set because <laughs> they were fucking up you know right. doing the live yeah. sound like things were overheating whatever and it was you know, it was kind of mortifying at right. the time because I felt good about the, you know, like, but then you're just like, ugh. So you I know, empathize well, in that case. Yeah, but, you know, I guess I would rather just we we perform in blissful ignorance and not know because, mm-hmm. you know, then you bring the energy. And it's almost like, I don't know what good it would have done if I would realized that the strings weren't being mined and there was no light on them. I right. could have, like, you know, looked scared and then maybe... Hey! Don't just say strings! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like pointed and be like you know either way it was gonna come off bad so it was like at the very least like we performed a minimalist piano right with, with enthusiasm <laughs> right. and said it was in c after yeah. and was, was there like, mm. um i'm assuming that was a house sound guy doing that yes, or did you have your own yeah. sound guy no yeah this was this was yeah house because yeah engineer. that's i mean that's that's one argument for we never had like an engineer yeah. travel with us um and that's a perfect argument as to why you should pay that going to consistently see metal bands Mm -hmm. i'm constantly just like oh right like it's always a reminder of like that's why you bring right your own sound guy because like i just went to where i was like every band i hate those where you're hearing them mixing it right and they get it by the last song like because they just don't fathom music and i'm I, there is some album where i'm like you guys know your room right right like, well that's, that's a shit on sound guys but they're because there are great ones mm-hmm. and then there are ones where i'm just like they get real cocky about their equipment and then i'm like like in that case like did you not ever wonder like hey i wonder why there's a string quartet <laughs> like just sitting in the dark it's weird that they wandered up there to just play by him and <laughs> while he does this solo yeah. whatever well we'll just not acknowledge it <laughs> Well, you know, and they were playing on other on other songs, and then it was fine for that. But I think, you know, because it had started off with just right. the piano, and so many times, like in that case, you, you caught know, him on a smoke break. I, I might have, honestly, because yeah. you know there was there, you know, Beirut had their own engineer that was traveling, yeah. so he's already kind of like, oh, I'm off tonight. I think right. in his mind, you know, right. so he's like, oh, there's this opener, you know. But that's <laughs> the right, argument that, that like, we always made, though, was look, we're guitar based drums. It's not difficult. The house right. sound guy's going to know his room. Yeah, right. That the Meat Puppets told us that when we played. Sorry you know, to name drop, guys, but when we did play with the <laughs> meat what, puppets. What, what, what? <laughs> um, but I think, you know, if I were to do it again, um, you know, I think having the the uh, the, the engineer with you yeah. in the long run, like he's he's looking out to make, you know, for you guys, he wants yeah. to have the best sound. Yeah. I, you know, we just, I recently did a tour with a band called Yellow Ostrich that I'm playing with now. And um, it was actually my first van tour where we took a sound engineer and it was, mm-hmm. you know, um, like three people to a bench. It's not like we had like the space to spare, mm-hmm. but it, it definitely made sense in the end. And I used to think the same thing. I mean, it was always my argument that, um, uh, you know, the is house engineers are going to know the room better and ultimately it can get pretty expensive to bring, you know, a sound yeah. engineer. But yeah. But then there is a house engineer there, and assuming that they're not just a total dick, there's some amount of collaboration. They're going to explain things sure, like, yeah. you know, 
the bass sounds weird when you're back here, but if you're up front, it sounds different. Like, yeah. and so you kind of see that happening. It's almost like you have two engineers, really, when you yeah. when you bring uh, your own guy around. Unless they so. both go on a smoke break <laughs> then, while yeah. you're doing your smoke. Which is, you know, the problem with <laughs> Another smoking, question yeah. about that particular scenario that I find interesting is that you had played with Beirut previously. Yeah. And now you're not playing with them anymore, but you're right. opening. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. so, what, I mean, I don't, you know... What's the what's the circumstances there that uh, well I'm not going to play with you guys anymore but if it's cool we'll open for you. <laughs> well, I mean it was um actually I just stayed friends with them after I stopped playing with them. I mean I I played with them for uh a few shows in the US and a tour in Europe um and it was over the span of about half a year mm-hmm. that I was kind of like in the band, so to speak, but I was a seventh member and already, you know, <laughs> as six people, they were pretty capable of handling yeah. all that was going on. So it wasn't hugely shocking or, you know, surprising when I didn't tour with them after that. And then later in the year, um, Ramesh was assembling his own massive ensemble. I think there were like eight people playing the band and, and I don't know. So he just called and was like, would that be weird if I asked you to come? Cause like I, I had introduced, I think Ramesh to the guys in Beirut. And then so they had become friends and he was already going to play the shows opening for them. Um, but you know, it was actually, it was just a perfect confluence of events. It, it was my birthday a couple of days before there, October 29th in Austin. So for the listener for the listener. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm giving, I had already mentioned it was Halloween. So I'm just, you know, in my mind, I'm like remembering, well, yes, my birthday is October 29th. That makes sense. Um, and you can send your gifts yeah. to what, you know, care of worst gig ever. We'll make sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Get They'll to get to you. Um, but, uh, you know, so anyways, I, I just, yeah, I went for it, but it was only like for, I think three shows or something. Yeah. Um, but it was fun. But was yeah. there kind of like, okay. 2,500 people are here to say, see Beirut. I'm not right. playing with them anymore. I'm doing that opening thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is there like, oh, I wish I was still playing with these guys. Like, hey, you know, I know the songs. I could just jump on. <laughs> yeah. you, you need, if you need that seventh yeah. member, like. Yeah. Just saying, I'm around. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I was just backstage weeping the entire time. During their set. <laughs> Sulking yeah. in the van. Yeah, the yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. So you're, you're going from, back up a second, because Voxtrot was... Uh, an organic yeah. rock and roll band yeah. from from Austin, which and, and locally and you, grown, homegrown, home <laughs> yeah. and you guys farm to table <laughs> yeah. rock band. Similar to us, had, there was kind of a, a similar trajectory in a way, in that we, you know, both kind of had a moment in the sun mm-hmm. around the same time, you know, oh six, oh seven, mm-hmm. and MOS. And MIS <laughs> moment in the sun, <laughs> oh. <laughs> as they're known. <laughs> you know how, yeah, the MIS. the old parlance. Um, <laughs> And so then after that, you know, how, first of all, how does that band end? Um, well, I think, you know, we started as kind of just a group of people that had met and were recording mostly together. Um, Ramesh was going to school in Glasgow at the University of Glasgow. I, and the rest of us were in Austin. So we would play some shows, uh, like over Christmas break or the summer and record stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, was it his project? Yeah, it began in like as his solo kind of recording project. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of us joined in pretty early, like a few years before we then later became, you know, a real band, I guess. Um, some of those recordings, you know, were put out as like seven inches by a couple of like indie pop labels. And then, um, our friend James Minor, who was the, uh, he was the head booker at Emos, uh, moved up to New York. Oh, yes. He was in, I'm going to pull this one out compound red yeah, yes, yes. Do you remember compound yeah, red absolutely yeah 
Salt James Minor played in a bunch of bands. Um, really awesome musician, awesome guy, and kind yeah. of moved up up here and was um, and actually now he's the general manager of South by Southwest Music. Um, oh, oh, that's James. Oh, yeah. Okay, it all comes together. It Got does. it. He used to book um, in New York at I think a couple of places. That place on the Lower East Side. That's like no. That was a venue. Uh, it was Rothko. No, Rothko. Yeah. Where we played with Panthers at yeah. uh, CMJ one was year. Was that the that's not the and one Grizzly that was Bear. around the corner from ABC. No, Rio. yes, it was. That yeah. was okay. Yeah, yes, that show. Yeah. Oh, so that guy booked that show. Maybe I don't know if he booked that show because that was a, that yeah. was a CMJ. But he, I, I remember he was. Uh, yeah, yeah, he so was he, around. He 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 booked a show for us there. Actually, we played with Orova Simone in like 2005, uh-huh. and then that was like our first sort of tour where we played four shows. Probably all of which I could have submitted as the worst gig ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, would that be for attendance reasons, or because that's another Just criteria? Various, like of... you know, figuring out what it means to be on yeah. tour. You know, like <laughs> what is this whole thing? What are we doing? This um, hobo existence. Is yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, anyways. Following that kind of like almost accidental beginning, uh, things started rolling and it just got very, really super active. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we toured for quite a bit in 2006, 2007, um, kind of made some, made a lot more music, made some music that was probably overwrought and we're like, you know, just, <laughs> I think we were kind of like, uh, just, I, w- I felt at least very like a heavy imbalance uh, in my life and stuff. So when we finished touring, uh, or a round of touring in like 2007, I took some time off from it and I was living in Europe for a while and kind of started seeing this girl and I, the idea of coming back to playing, um, I realized became less and less appealing. So I actually kind of quit the band. Um, I just like, you know, I, it's, it's great. It's weird. I think I viewed at that time it was mutually exclusive. The idea of being in a band and having some sort of balance in my life, you know, being able to cook <laughs> a meal or yeah. have a consistent friendship. Or like, you know, and and at a certain point, like, you know, we were just five people. We got along, but we had never like intentionally been like best friends, you know. And we're in like this uh, sort of metal box just driving around, yeah. right. you know, countries everywhere. Like, there, you know, you guys know, they're sort of like your, your um, polygamous marriage slash co-workers slash everything. Yeah. Like, yes. they, they, you know, end up being a You get to know these so. people better than a lot of other people in your life. And they're not Absolutely. necessarily... Your best friends, yeah. yeah. But I think you're, you're. You look at them and you're yeah. like, "Why am I choosing to spend so much time with you? More than my significant yeah. other, more yeah. than but anyone." I think we all felt that too. So you know, when I yeah. when I left, the other guys made a you know a couple other kind of singles and stuff. But it was sort of a natural kind of process, and everybody ended up working on different yeah. stuff around that time. Well, I think that this is an interesting conversation because I think we've all been there, um, and it's interesting that this happened to you then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess what is this? Oh seven, oh eight. Yeah. Um, um, wh- 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 even though you say you guys were a band, I mean, it's, it sounded like Ramesh was kind of the leader. Would that be a kind of, yeah, a- well, yeah, I mean, it, I think at first it was really kind of his project and then, you know, I mean, he definitely, um, was the leader of the band. Um, you know, he sang the songs and, and he wrote them. But as he would bring in songs, like they were very, it was a very collaborative writing yeah. effort. Um, and, you know, I think everybody had a creative stake in the band and it wasn't like, it wasn't a solo project and, you know, we weren't like hired guns sure. at all. Well, I guess um, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm getting at is that would you say that was there anything about it? a reason why you didn't want to do it anymore uh, or cut back is because, well, maybe if this was more of a, a real democracy, 
No, or actually, I want to do my own I, stuff. I, it's, it's actually yeah. almost the opposite. It was it was kind of very democratic, um, and I found that frustrating. I almost would have rather have been in someone's army or been directing my own thing. You know, there was because right. it was. Uh, I don't know, because we had started to like have different creative visions as well, you know, like that uh -huh. democracy just resulted in whatever kind of mess we have in Congress or whatever. Yeah. There's, you know, a lot of like sort of stalemate and ultimately uninspired stuff for a little while. And I think, um, you know, and that's like not any single person's fault. It was just kind of like a system that got a little yeah. stagnant. So right. when I, I, I left actually kind of doing music entirely at that point, I also had a whole kind of thing where I began to think I was contributing to something um, maybe somewhat evil in the world. I was like, you know, I played this festival, Pukul Pop in Belgium, uh -huh, sure, yeah. and um, I had sort of like a, a moment of realization when I woke up there and was looking at a sea of trash and, um, you know, corporate banners and like, uh, you know, ambulances that are there to take away the kids that have had a little too much ecstasy and throw up in their mouths. And like at that point, you realize like you are just. Uh, I know it's such a cliched idea, mm -hmm. you know, it's like sort of an anti anti commercialist idea. But it's it was just a shame to me that music, you know, was a thing that had to happen between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. in a place right. that sells, you know, alcohol or promotes brands or whatever. And I just felt like I kind of got a sense of what music's place in that whole industry was. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it just you had seemed, a crisis of faith. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just felt like there's so many ways to make money. Why, why prostitute music? Like, mm -hmm. it just seemed like, you know, because uh, originally the idea is, well, you know, do what you love. And then if you do what you love and you get paid for it, you're really lucky. And it's like, but if getting paid for doing what you love means that you don't love it, then right. that's completely, <laughs> right. you know, against the point. So what if you do what you love, but you did start to not love it and you didn't get paid <laughs> then you're my music it all canceled it all and then you're staring at four other guys yeah. in a van <laughs> i think that was that was actually closer to what it became yeah. it was something that we weren't getting paid to do and we didn't love it right yeah. um but yeah so i kind of quit and actually beirut kind of you know brought me back into things in a way seeing those guys um who are you know such good friends and like um who also like thought that that balance was really important, you know, like they didn't have a huge heavy touring schedule. Um, and also just kind of encouraged me, like, you know, I, I moved up to New York. Zach, who's a singer in Beirut, had gotten a house here, um, you know, said I should come stay with him for a while and like start, and I started working on music news, which is very encouraging. Mm -hmm. So I kind of crept back into it through that. And then I've done a couple of other things since then. And just recently have kind of started writing my own stuff again, but it's been a, it's been sort of a uh, a long process of so, so that period where you where it. you moved overseas and you were not necessarily interested in doing music, which I think is fascinating. Did you miss it? Um, not at all. Yeah. No. So it was just like a good riddance. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like, I was doing this. Uh, I sold all of my instruments, even and everything, like all mm. my gear. Um, for a short time, I was like. Yeah, I was just able to block it out with so much other new, uh, so many other other new uh, stimuli. Yeah, you know? right. Like being in a foreign country already kind of gives you that. You know, there's like a new language everywhere, and then just like a different routine. And I was, 
I was like going to buy my groceries every day from like the local market or like the paper, trying trying to get through reading a newspaper in French, right. which is kind yeah. of difficult. So there was me. a novelty to just yeah. Completely and I wonder if lifestyle. that's part of it. It is that it's like you had to force yourself to learn how to live, but in a really foreign way. Like because yeah. I know a literally for me, a foreign yeah, way. like because there was always like you know a, a big chunk of like why you know when I have those moments like I should stop with music and focus on something else. Right. I would have those moments where I'm just like, I realize now it's like a lot of fear stuff of like, well, I'm Jeff from Panthers. Right. Jeff from Orca is like hard to like acknowledge like, oh, I'm Jeff Garlock. Right. That maybe couldn't be separate from this. Yeah. And there was that fear of just like, well, what the hell else would I be? And like, if you're, if, if, because also in doing that, I was still going to be living in Brooklyn. Right. Like, you know, I was still going to be going to the same shows, right. doing the same shit. Uh, but if I was all of a sudden in, France. Well, yeah, that was part of it. It's just a like clean taking slate. yourself yeah. out of that yeah. environment. Yeah. And then you realize how much of, I mean, this is getting like probably too philosophical for the moment, but it was just like, you realize how much of your personality is circumstantial to begin with. And right. you happen to be, you know, uh, like exposed to people that showed you a guitar and then that right. led to you doing this and then this became your identity. And I was like, what if I had been born here? Like, what would I be right. like? You know? Right. Sure. And so it's fun role playing that for a while. But ultimately I do think, you know, however, arbitrary or circumstantial various things might have been that created our characters i don't think we can run from it too much right I felt like, it's still what yeah. created your character yeah and i exists. still want to you know make music and i still enjoy music and so you know i spent some time away from it. i think i needed that time right. but um but yeah i mean even then i kind of came back and was like working on music very soon after that but i did i was trying to kind of be behind the scenes i was like producing you know a couple of different mm. people's things well i think like, it's, the, it's also this idea it. that you love it. It's ingrained in who you are. Um, and that, ne at least from my experience, that never leaves. It's mm -hmm. just the context changes in which you do it. Right. So I had, you know, I had a very similar case in where, you know, I moved to Austin, mm -hmm. the live music capital of the world. <laughs> say, yeah. And then my band broke up and it was honestly, I mean, it was great because it was a clean slate thing. I didn't know anybody. I didn't need to like, um, uh, work on, you know, I didn't need to deal with the rigmarole of playing in a band and I could kind of like take a couple of years to just like yeah. relax and ex exhale mm -hmm. after Were you the there fairly for a intense. Years? I was there for about almost two years. Okay. I was there on and off between the end of 08 and through like June of 2010. Okay. Um, so that's, that's probably why I left. That was around, that was, that was around the time. Yeah. Well, I think um, <laughs> touch of pace, gotcha. Yeah. Hell it, it, you know, this is a perfect time to bring up the fact that you and I actually work together. We do. We in work fact. in the uh, at an unnamed yeah. uh, audio video related technology company. It's a weird name for that company. Um, you know, <laughs> you know unnamed AV. Yeah. It doesn't really ring, but whatever. But I think there there are a couple of points which I think are interesting. Is yeah. that you know. Um, and the nature of our work, we do a lot of work remotely. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of work from home. When Jared first came on board, we were having a Skype call amongst between the two of us. And I didn't know him or didn't recognize his name, vice versa. And so we're just kind of making a small talk. Yeah. And, you know, what do you do? Is, oh, I played in a band for I played in a band. It's like, oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm saying, oh, yeah, I played in a band too. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, what is this asshole? Like, right. this <laughs> band in his garage, you know. Right. Because uh, there is always that worry when the coworker is like, "Oh, I play yeah. in a band too." Oh, it's right. like, "Well, it's just like some covers or yeah, 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 like, um, yeah, totally. And <laughs> little do I know, Jared's thinking the sound. same yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, you know, whenever you demurely say you played in a band, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and then it comes out after I think in the same conversation that uh, Jared played in Voxtrot and that we had played together and actually hung out. 
yeah. when we both played at the Pitchfork Festival in 2007. Oh, really? And like, yeah. at, you know, had a had a great time uh, that night. And it was just kind of like a one and done type thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, not great enough to be memorable, but you had a great <laughs> well, time. Not great enough to remember his name, but wait a second. But part and parcel of the working together thing is something that you told me, I think, in that initial conversation, which I also think is fascinating, is that at a certain point, you wanted to become a quote-unquote businessman. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think, um, and first of all, I'd say 2007 was so great as to be unmemorable. It was, <laughs> there was, I, there's other stories about that that I've started trying to remember, but, um, <laughs> which we can get into. But yeah, it was, it's not so much that I wanted to be a businessman. I might have, I might have used that word somewhat facetiously, but I did want to do something distinct from being an artist. Even though I can you want to test out being a normal? <laughs> so wait, so this is after this well, is know. after Europe, right? So you've yeah, done yeah, your yeah. European after that, actually uh, after after Beirut. Um, so I I played with them, you know, like I think it was like um, from the middle of 2010, uh, and then around early 2011, um, you know, we started setting up the next tours, and I wasn't going to go on tour with them anymore. So I started thinking, all right, what am I going to do? Um, and I realized, like at that point, I was. Um, I guess I was 28 years old and I was like, you know, I don't know what a real job is. Like I felt like that felt pathetic, but I was like, you know, I see my friends posting my jobs. I know it involves emailing people, you know, and like meeting them, but like, what are they talking about at these yeah. things? And what I discovered is that half the people with real jobs don't know what it is either. Yeah. Everyone's just living in that George Costanza thing, you know, with the yep. file folder, like the Pinsky file. The Pinsky file, that, the Pinsky yeah, file yeah, exactly. and then Kramer going to the office with like, <laughs> what right, do you have right. in your briefcase? Yeah. Crackers. <laughs> Crackers. <laughs> this, yeah. this report is written like you don't know the first thing about it. Like, yeah. Like, it's I almost don't even as if you have no business training whatsoever. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to get ahead. Yeah, that, yeah. But I feel like that is what makes that so funny is it just resonates with everyone who actually does have a job. Mm -hmm. You're like, you know, everyone feels in some way like they're a fraud no yeah. matter what job it is that they're doing i think hopefully because uh, i <laughs> i do still to some extent but um yeah i uh, so i kind of reached out um actually just to two different um jobs and then ended up taking taking this one partially because it's such an abnormal normal unnamed AB. sure um, yeah it's uh it's, you know, because we're mostly working remotely, um, everybody at the company kind of has a background in doing something artistic or production-wise. Mm -hmm. People at this company that worked while they were uh, taking a cycling trip from Vancouver to um yeah, There Mexico. aren't any staid businessmen. Yeah, yeah. But I think... More Except for Stanley. <laughs> we all hate Stanley. <laughs> Except for that fucking guy. Yeah. Um, but just this idea that this, you know, you want to get away from music, and so you went to Europe, and then you come back, and then you play, you kind of dabble in it, we could yeah. say, with, with Beirut. And then, it's, and then it's like another deviation where, yeah. you know, like, I want to, like... I want kind of this uh, uh, regulated, uh, scheduled yeah. um, uh, curriculum, almost. Yeah, it was. I do, yeah, I feel like I feel like Beirut, in a way, was the deviation, you know, because it was kind of like I did that, and and it was one of the reasons why I made it easy to accept was because, like I had said, I was kind of following directions in that band. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't asked to like be creatively con contributing. Um, I didn't play on a record with them; I was just touring. So. 
that I was kind of appreciative of, even though, you know, I love the music, would have been happy yeah. to, you know, collaborate with them. It was just kind of like what would have been frustrating before is like putting creative energy into something and then not being able to kind of see it through to, to go where you where I wanted it to go. So it was like at the very least with this, I'm hanging out with my friends. I can play it. It was almost like trying it out in a different way. And um, but there is like a quote unquote gig mentality to that even though yeah, you're, 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 it's kind totally. of the best of both worlds. You're playing music, but it's a it's this is more of a job right. than yeah. if it was your own band. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um and, you know, and throughout, what's funny is I think, like, throughout this whole time, I, di I wasn't really honest with myself or with other people about the fact that I quit. I kind of had said it to myself. I mean, I sold all my stuff, but then I was also like, I moved to New York like four months later. So it was like, well, I sold my stuff because I was moving to New York. I didn't buy everything back though, you know? Right. And people would ask me like, how's it going? How's music going? And I just lied every time. I was like, <laughs> I'm working on some new stuff. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, you know, I just, well, that's like, part of what that's... you said about like, you know, it was a thing that was like, it was my identity. Yeah, you know? so exactly. Like band. So like, it feels like you failed these people asking you somehow. Right. But also, it's an easy way to get out of the conversation. But like, I'm working on some yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. I know. Like, I say it I mean, all the time. It's like, oh, I'm possible. working on this new show. What does that mean exactly? Well, yeah. I've yeah. sat on my couch and thought about it. <laughs> that in my underwear while I'm eating ice cream. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in reality, I was not inspired to be working on stuff at that yeah. time. And, and I was happy to not be. And like, you know. Well, because that's also part of a, like, it's like a breakup. Like, yeah. I mean, when Panther, I'm sure you felt yeah. too. Like, when Panthers was over, like, I literally, like, it was like a couple months after the Panthers last tour, like Panthers last tour. And I like picked up my bass and I was just like, I can't <laughs> yeah. write anything that doesn't sound like Panthers. Right. Cause I've been in that mode for six to seven years. Like, and I was like, Oh, I'm going to try writing a different style of something. And yeah. it was just like, Ugh. you got to take it. And then it was all yeah. walking bass lines. Exactly. And, slap <laughs> bass. Yeah. and then I was in an not by a cover. Band. Yeah. But you didn't, you need that break. Similarly, you know, if you're working on a mix, sometimes you got to like sleep on it and come back the next yeah. day. And it's kind of like just having that time to reset without music. Uh, and it and it did help, and I've been you know. Are you talking about a mixtape? What was that? Working on a when mix? You, no, when you're working on like oh a, a mix, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. When you're like mixing a record, a okay. Song, yeah. This is a music podcast. Okay, I forgot. You know, uh, yeah, you need uh, fresh ears. Need the fresh ears. Exactly. I know. Fresh I just ears. I recorded a blazing solo for this new record I'm working on like yeah. two days ago, and I'm waiting to go back in and just be like, what was <laughs> I thinking? I know, like. But somebody pull off. Extrapolate that to an entire career, you know. Yeah. If, if yeah. you just keep going in it, then like maybe you take a year off and you're like, that band was terrible. And I, just right. did, I did that for eight years. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that about yeah, any yeah, band yeah. I was in, but I think it could happen, yeah. you know, yeah. theoretically. Yeah. Because well, you just have you, momentum and you're in stuff and you're doing it. And you don't yeah. think Well, because that it, like, ends up being part of the like, you know, you wanted to taste what it was like to be a normal, but that's actually, the, for me, is like the weird normal part of sometimes, like, how does a band keep going? Right. It's just like, I don't know, how do people just kind of stick in, like, the same day job sure. for, like, yep. six to seven years? Sure. Like, sometimes it's just because you just keep your head down and just like, well, I got another tour. Yeah. Just keep doing this and we'll do this. And then all of a sudden, when it's over, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, like, I, we think of it as, like, momentum, but it's more like stagnation, isn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, like, you're, you're just being drawn by a current you know mm -hmm. did you enjoy like i can't get a read on if you really like touring or if there are certain elements of being in a band that you like more than others i i think i well i've kind of had the gamut of touring experiences um some of them i really liked like <laughs> i mean you know having a bus and like a tuned acoustic piano waiting for me on stage every night and like that was awesome <laughs> sounds like, pretty nice yeah um 
you know, then there's uh, three to a seat. There's three, there's three, there's three, <laughs> three to the bench seat. You yeah. know, sleeping on some random uh, dude's floor, like, as and, we call and, diarrhea encrusted carpet. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, because we used to end our shows the first tours with Vox Trot with. I think you probably have done the same thing with just the. Does by anybody? the way, we've got two more songs. If anybody has a place where we can oh, crash yeah. tonight, yeah. you know, the, the classic, Put us up the after piano the show. too. Like I remember, we've talked about before. I remember like playing shows with the Walkman, yeah. like early on. And the only thing I would think when they were still basically in a van, I would just like, you're dragging a piano around. <laughs> yeah. They would drag a, a beat up an acoustic yeah. piano, like a real stand up, like you've got in your house, but like clearly yeah. like been beat yeah. up by the road oh, in life. Like they, I watched them be dragged, like we play with them in Houston. Yeah. Once. And yeah. I was like the stage, I remember being high and I watched them like lift up the <laughs> fucking piano. And it was like, I was like, Ugh, that's yeah. terrible. Well, that was, you I know, know I had lift a my 64 base. key thing, you know, and I actually, um, now with uh, Beirut, they tour with a 64 key piano, but it's it's one of these things that's like it folds up into a case. It's called a Roadmaster 64. Uh-huh. They're amazing. They made like I don't know 200 of them in the 70s. And uh, well, this this was my crazy. burning question uh, when we talked to Billy Joel's drummer Liberty Devito, as one uh, does. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I was just like, when you guys were touring, like. Did you bring a piano? Yeah. I don't. What did he say? I think they did, they brought like where he had like an organ, like you know, or most I, of the clubs provided ben them. Yeah, yeah. Were the punk clubs in the nineties yeah. with a grand piano? I, yes. I, you know, I wasn't there, but this <laughs> right. is what I hear. He used to take a grand, a grand, like a, a grand piano, like a mini grand. Yeah. yeah. Like not even a an baby upright. grand. A baby grand. Yeah, yeah, that's what they call it. Not to be confused <laughs> with the song "Baby Grand" on uh, Billy Joel's 1986 record, "The Bridge," Oof. a duet with. I was so great. Wow. Charles. I thought totally. that's we were talking about the duet yeah. with Ray Charles. Absolutely. Oh, we're not. Okay, cool. Yeah. I just want to make sure. <laughs> okay, but the point is, is that obviously there, there, there are different ways to tour, and some are more sure. comfortable than I mean, others. You know, yeah, and I think that that also comes down to you know, uh, like. Some of them are more comfortable. Also, there's different like paces of touring, you know, and then like, um, you know, I, I just think everybody has to find something that works for them and the other four people or five people in their band, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is where it gets tough, you know, for, for me, I'd rather have, uh, you know, more off days. Um, other people would rather have a shorter tour with less off days so that they're not, you know, I'd rather be on tour for longer at a slower pace, you know what I mean? Okay. Um, just because it's less about being away from home than it is about just, not having time for like exercise or like a, a decent like home cooked meal or like something you know and if it can like see friends and actually spend time with people a lot of it becomes a little more rewarding mm-hmm. but you know i think when you're touring especially driving yourself you get to these places you don't really have time to appreciate the city if you're playing every night right um and it becomes kind of this vortex that you get into and then vortex like, of candy bars and soda <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly so you know, gas station candy yeah, bars yeah. and soda, by the way. Well, and that stuff just like it, it has a physical effect on me. It just makes me feel miserable. See, I think I think that Jeff and I might be inclined to disagree in terms of the length. Only like I think, you know, as a as a single man, you know, maybe with with few attachments in one place, you know, having the wife. Yep. At home, the 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 dog. Where I don't, where did my dog? Where's my dog? Did you just he just he jumped out the window. <laughs> Sorry, I did not confusing. refer to my 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 wife as a dog. <laughs> I'm referring to my wife, the dog, my Ow! beautiful wife, and my beautiful dog. Two separate entities. Right. Um. And you know, all the while while I was touring, I we were in a relationship, and it was just you know there's you miss. Yep. As absolutely. as I'm sure as we all know, yeah. and so like, you know, to look down the barrel of that. Yeah. five week tour schedule and just yeah. be like oof but it was a sure. weird conflict at least for me too because i was like but if we're gonna go out 
we should go out for a long time and, and really and no work off it. days and yeah. be like every, if we're gonna do it let's do it if all we're gonna way. do yeah like let's not like if i'm gonna uproot my life like a couple days before and after a tour yeah. like even like because i in my mind too it's always like well i have to add on like getting ready for tour mentally right the the recuperation after of like yeah. returning to society in some ways i was like oh well, yeah let's do four to five like and see i think for me and part of it and that's i think that's the common viewpoint you know that people have is they want to like get it packed first of all you can it's you're losing money when you're on tour and not performing you know Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're opening yeah and then if you have somebody you're coming home to that's a whole other deal as well so i mean for me i almost like i don't if i slow the tour down i don't even feel like i'm on tour i just have traveled uh moved house so many times in the past like you know in the past actually this is the first year i've lived in the same apartment two consecutive years since 1998, you know? So I haven't had like a real like home base for years while I was touring in Voxtrot, my stuff was in storage. Yeah. And when I wasn't on tour, I was just subletting apartments. So it was all the same to me, you know? So I was just like, I didn't feel like, like tour was tour if it was slow enough. It just felt like, well, we're just playing a couple of shows a week, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that was the thing. Like, I think for like, whenever we did those shorter tours, it was much harder like, yeah, like, if you have any downtime, it was a bit like, it's like, oh, well, without that momentum, I'm just kind of stuck with these guys. Right. <laughs> and not with my now wife. But also, there was the element of, like, like I hated the shorter tours, and I hated the long weekend tour, only mm. in that I felt like the the one-for-all, all-for-one mentality of tour did not exist. Right. If it was like, oh, we're going to do the Boston, Philly, oh, New York. Yeah. Because it was just like, if we were in any capacity, at least in my situation, like as soon as we were close to New York, everyone was just like, fuck you, I'm out of here. <laughs> and it's just, you weren't, I wasn't ever like, I hate it because I couldn't be, I liked being in the you tour mindset. You couldn't get mindset, into the mindset. Right? Yeah, it's too right. quick. Like, if I was going to do it, I wanted to be yeah. doing it and not like, because I didn't, I also never, I never liked the weekend warrior vibe like i wanted to be like but that was the thing i hated i hated anytime we had a long tour and midway through the tour we were in new york yeah because it was like this weird respite of all of a sudden we're not on tour it's a tease tease. you know it was it was really different being based in austin because like first of all we didn't have i mean you could do like a dallas houston circuit or something you know but it wasn't like it wasn't really happening especially at that time i mean deep ellum and dallas still had a few shows but houston hadn't really come up um but never played houston we would do it we would typically do it as two separate uh two separate legs do a west coast tour and an east coast tour and yeah you know but this is actually the one i did recently with yellow ostrich was the first time i think that i've done a full u.s tour like not getting home until the end of it yeah yeah um which (laughs) we play you know we come home and we play at bowery like best show of the tour it's great you know it was like packed really fun and then have to wake up the next day and go to a college show in Binghamton. <laughs> so it's like this anticlimactic. <laughs> and moment. we should add that yeah. we actually had a work trip to Las yes. Vegas the following week for a trade show. Well, I flew out at six in the morning the day after the so show. So you're coming. You're yeah. coming off of, and this definitely qualifies as a worst gig ever. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're coming off of a month of touring in the van, yeah. three to the bench. Uh, you do the final show in New York, and then that little yeah. that little. Uh, 
phalange uh, like right. college oh, you know, show. And I should also mention, I don't sleep in appendage. my own bed when I get back. Oh, because you're because, airbnb in right, your apartment. Exactly. So I get back and I crash on a friend's couch in New York, you yeah. know, like within like earshot of my own apartment. So then we're in Las Vegas and we're using, you know, we're communicating using that WhatsApp. So we're all like, and Jared gets in Sunday night and we get the, the classic like, guys have just been on the road for a month. I'm just, I cannot wait to get into my hotel room. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to hang tonight. The first good night of sleep that I've had in a month. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Second text. And there's no bed in my room. (laughs) (laughs) This is absolutely true. I opened the door to my hotel room. It was as if the gods saw my first text and were like, can we make this happen really quick? Can we take the bed out of his hotel room before he opens the door? I open it up and it's a, and it was like it was a, not like not a Murphy bed but a fold out couch bed. Yeah. What? Ugh. In a hotel room, you know, yeah. um, in an expensive hotel room. Yeah. And yeah. Let's name names. Where was it? Jared this was not a, staying in the same hotel as yeah. the rest of us, by yeah. the way. Well, there you go. This There's, is a whole other story, yeah, but I was told that it was the hotel yeah, everybody well, was staying in. This is funny because you know being in a startup and going to trade shows is. So much like being in a band and going on tour. Oh yeah, there's definitely a correlation. I mean, you got yeah. like you know, you have moments of being in the van where you're just like, this is this is actually yeah. I mean, you know, you kind of you're at home, you work on the product, you know, yeah. like like the album, and then you go out and you try to convince people yeah. that it's something mm-hmm. worthwhile. Um, and ultimately, you know, I think it it's it kind of draws a lot of the same people, creative people, and like you know, founders of companies are similar in a way to like founders of bands. You have to be charismatic enough to get a bunch of people to like agree with your crazy plan or yes. your crazy songs or whatever to right. begin with, and then and then ultimately it becomes a job, and the whole thing either uh, turns into an empire or falls apart. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> just like all bands <laughs> yeah um yeah. so so right now you're kind of you're balancing uh you know w- work yeah I, I i'm not gonna say work and play because it's definitely you're you know being in a band at the level i think that we're all used to is in and of itself for the most part a full-time job yeah mm-hmm. um and then you kind of have another full-time mm-hmm. job uh Albeit one that is flexible and, and unorthodox to say the least. Uh, is it something that you can see continuing kind of in both capacities? Like we said, music, it's life's blood. It's always going to be there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is part of why I also want to have a slower schedule with music as well. I mean, it's, you know, it's the reality of the, industry right now and the way things work you put out a record and then you tour for that record you Mm -hmm. know um and it has to be kind of on while you're doing it um i mean i've played as a part of yellow ostrich for over a year um and for most of that time it wasn't really a huge time commitment you know we worked on on an album but i was able to do that kind of on the side um this was definitely an exhausting experience um i mean you know we were loading out at 1 a.m getting back to our place at 2 and then I was waking up at six, uh, or seven at the latest. And, you know, as soon as I would open, uh, my computer, I would have like 12 messages on Skype waiting for me and like emails to respond yeah. to. And I had a Wi-Fi hotspot and, uh, our mutual friend, Michael Tapper, who's the drummer, uh, in the band helped build out a little desk in our van. <laughs> so like that folded out and I'm mean, like sitting there like, <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. No, I was getting, I was getting shit from those guys the whole time too. Like, how's your portfolio looking asshole? <laughs> but, you know, cause I'm like sitting there with my, my like, you know, Bluetooth headset and a Wi-Fi hotspot. And I'm like Skyping with a, you know, our, our coworkers. But, but that's I, great. Like, cause for me, like I know, like, especially towards the end of Toro with Panthers, I was like, man, I've kind of blown it of not like finding another skill. 
that mm-hmm. I can kind of do. Like it's like you know that I it, it, like that, but like the general like uh, I'm a uh, graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Like you know there are so many musicians who are graphic designers because you could just open up your computer mm-hmm. and do it from the thing. But I was just like, oh well, I'm. I mean, I can write comedy. <laughs> from the road but it's not like i can be like hey, what you did do for a little while. i did yeah. do that i mean for my team and i would like do that whole thing where people had fun and i would write sketch instead and, but it is like and i mean i guess i do i did pick up somewhat of that skill but i mean that i'm just like oh great that but desk I, thing sounds amazing well it me. actually you know in many ways it's it is great and it's ideal and i really appreciate you know that i'm able to travel with this job and it's like and it exercises a different part of my brain right. which i you know sometimes but the, i think that the thing is there's just so many times that you don't want to be exercising your brain anymore on tour because like it it is it is just a mentally exhausting and fatiguing thing and so you know on those trips a lot of times you're like oh man i wish i could be productive i'm just sitting in a van but a lot of grand ideas like, i would have you, for tour. like i'm gonna find i'm gonna finally write a full-length screenplay right, yeah. like while I mean, i'm on like, tour and then i'm just yeah because you're staring i get nauseous if, you know? if i have to read or write in the well, van so that would not right. work out i'm lucky in that way i don't yeah. know why but um you know we're barreling through like mountains and i'm still like but that's I why i'm interested in that have you seen that amtrak thing they've got like a thing that they're doing for a while where they'll give free amtrak rides to writers yeah where it's like, was this ever like, verified as being a real thing? Because I saw, I did see it. Yeah, it was. Like some okay. people are doing it. Uh, where it's just like you get like a round trip ticket for free to just go on and write. Like, wow, uh, the romance. Of yeah, the, and I was uh, like, that sounds like a good idea. I bet you I would won't look at the internet too much and be on Facebook for eight hours. <laughs> you know, I, the, the whole thing. I mean, I didn't even have. I, I had a laptop, but I would not think I like ever really used it on tour until until recently. I mean, we were touring with Voxtrot. That was. It. I get some lyrics written and stuff, mm-hmm. but they were just. So many moments of like, I was just in it for the tour and doing that. There was a time we got, um, actually, this is probably a candidate for worst gig ever kind of story, but it was not a, not an actual gig that turned, uh, badly, but we were driving from, um, Boston, I think. Yeah. A show in Boston to a show in Washington, DC. Oof, somewhere. That's an eight hour drive. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Already brutal. there's that. Yeah. Cause I think we had done New York or something. Oh. So. Great and, rally. And it was going yeah. like, to be quick after that. Like it was like DC, and then the next one was going to be, um, you know, Atlanta, and uh-huh. then it was like New Orleans. Like it was just like you know blowing through. DC to Atlanta is no uh, cakewalk. No, you know, no. that's like ten hours. I know. At least. Was, <laughs> again, fire that book again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we get to like I don't know an hour outside of maybe not even that. Like like forty minutes. Um, people that are more familiar with Massachusetts geography will be able to be able to tell because somewhere on the mass pike our, our van just like decides it i mean it just makes the most horrible noise and, and stops running completely we pull over to the side of the road and even now i wouldn't consider myself a uh, like technically gifted with automobiles but certainly at that point <laughs> i was and and my level of ignorance was somehow dwarfed by the ignorance of everyone else in our van like no one got out of the van the van pulls over on the side and everybody sits still for like 10 minutes and we're just like what do we do i don't know it's <laughs> so like we call we call like uh some you know friend of a friend super nice guy no triple a uh, uh, no triple A. I don't gotta think that was happening. I don't have triple A. Gotta have card, one baby. member with the triple A in the <laughs> got, band. Through, you yeah. gotta get through the parents. The gold with card. That. I don't know what it was. Yeah, but that wasn't an option. Ship. I still got it. It's still I valid. Still, it's like the one thing connecting to my like dad's like side of the family is I'll just every once in a while get like oh uh, the triple A gold, gold card. Oh. <laughs> Nice to see you, old well, friend. Well, for whatever reason that I don't remember, it wasn't an option at that point. But we we were managed. We are able to take it somehow. It's like sort of limps along to a mechanic at the very next uh, exit, which is near Shrewsbury. Um, 
It's the only mechanic open. I should put in. It's like a Friday afternoon, and uh, you have a show that night. Yeah, the show's that night. Oh, I so you were driving from DC to Boston? No, Boston to DC. Sorry, it's, I guess it's like a Friday morning. You know. Okay, so oh, you just okay. left. Yeah, you yeah, haven't gotten that far out here at Shrewsbury. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we really, really hadn't. Um, and you know, yeah, this some guy was helping us get it to the mechanic. Um, and he takes like one look at it. He like opens it up. Really doesn't look at it very much. But he can tell that we have no idea what's going on. Uh-huh. And he's just like your your van is dead. Your van's broke. <laughs> I trade you for this van. And he shows us like a van like which first of all has an odometer ripped out of it. Um, and it's a minivan. It looks like you know I don't know the kind of thing my friend's mom's picked me up with like to go to uh-huh. that's know, what we used to tour in. Yeah, I get eighty five. <laughs> yeah, no, like, you know, like well, a we were real three bunch piece, of idiots yeah. with touring. Yeah, no, but you know, no, no, got, an old minivan. We've got like, like exactly. We've got like a seven you know person thing. Like we yeah. couldn't even fit our ourselves in there, much less all of our gear. So we were just like, no, we're not gonna you know straight up trade you our van for your van. And he's like, I can't help you then. So that was his deal. That was his offer. There's no other mechanics open. So we end up like just we're stuck. So we cancel the rest of the tour <laughs> because the How next much show was, left? was DC. Like this is a weekend. Nobody's open. Actually, it's actually a holiday weekend. So Monday, no mechanics uh, open. So we so ended up waiting until Tuesday. So, so this was a weekend tour. No, there kind was of like thing. it was the end of probably oh, okay. a two or three week okay. tour. But we canceled like five shows, six shows. Um, I mean, it was incredibly frustrating, but I, I think what made me think of it was that, you know, as we're stuck there, you know, I, then at that point we were just stuck and I have there's no concept of me being able to be productive or do anything. I'm just like, now I'm going along with this thing. Now I'm going to live in Shrewsbury for four days. Like we like found some hotel, um, which amazingly, so the guy dropped us off at the hotel, but we don't have a car or anything. So we're really just stuck at this hotel. It's snowing. We walk, there's some place within like a 15 minute walk that we can go to called big Texas, like, and big Texas has like karaoke every, you know, Wednesday night or whatever, when we happen to be there, which is like, and we just became part of this world. There was a guy, an Elvis impersonator. Uh, there were two, uh, sort of overweight women fighting over him. Um, the whole time that we were there, um, it became, like, and then they, you know, I feel like by the end of it, I don't know, I'd have to look at the pictures, but I think we did all become best friends at a yeah. certain point, and then, right. and then we left, and then never spoke of it again. Well, what happened? Did they fix the van, or you had a... Rep- well, we ended up taking it to a mechanic on Tuesday. Uh, I see, I see. And Ooh. he was like, you know, and we told him the story, he was like, oh, you know, get out, who told you that? Was that Mike Shaddy down there? You know, <laughs> and report that guy to Better Business Bureau, he's a fucking loser, yeah. you know? <laughs> He's like, I well, can't believe he told you that. That I mean, that's that's a nightmare scenario, yes. by the way. But um, I think what you said earlier also speaks to this is the way bands tour now, especially if it's not necessarily your only source of income, is mm-hmm. that when we were touring like the mid-aughts, and I hate to refer to it as like this golden era, Wi-Fi wasn't really a thing. I, nope. I remember – uh, we had one laptop. Dan, our drummer, would bring the laptop, and like we'd go to, you know, the hotel, and like you'd have to get like yeah. the password. Like you couldn't, you know, I was be on your laptop. When the Sean whole time. Agnew, who is our tour manager for one tour, he had some way that he had hacked his cell phone so that he, for what the charge of one text message, he would get internet. Like it was some, but he so, had to like yeah. go into it and like yeah. reprogram well, but this it. Is also... It was some punk hack. So yeah. I'd yeah. sit there. I remember they went into Tijuana and I sat there to protect the van and just check my <laughs> internet through his phone service. But I'm because this... it didn't yeah. exist. I didn't even. I hardly had a cell phone. And this is yeah. This is obviously pre-smartphone. So and you're not the first person. I th- I don't. 
you're not the first person I've heard who's like, well, you know, the show ended. I think Vice did an article on one of their noisy articles about like, you know, why being in a touring band sucks is because like, like, well, when the show's over, then you got to check your email and see like what's going on right. work wise. I mean, right. I think you're doing it in kind of the optimal situation where you actually literally could work in the van that you'd be sitting in for, you know, five to seven hours or whatever it is, uh, eight hours a day. Um, so you were able to maximize the time. Um, but that's just the reality of like, mm-hmm. you know, making a living as right. a touring musician. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, well, I do think that the industry in general is changing, that the reality of making a living as a musician necessitates supplemental income, Yeah, you know, strangely enough. I mean, I also think it's kind of like, I feel in a way that a lot of us have a sense of entitlement in music that doesn't exist in other art forms. You know, like somebody comes in and says, like a friend of mine was telling me this the other day, but... Um, you know, they're a poet, you know, they don't expect to like make a living being a poet. It doesn't right. change the fact that they're going to continue to make poetry yeah. and do this stuff. And so, um, and it's true that like, it takes time and focus to become a good poet. It takes time and focus to become a good musician. It doesn't take a lot of money to become a good musician anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you can make good recordings. You can find, you know, instruments like secondhand. So like, that's no longer really a barrier, but I do think it takes time and that that's the advantage of getting paid to do music is that you have the time to focus on that craft. But I also think that there's a lot that comes from having being a normal or being around normals or like, you know, from all the things from, you know, I don't know, just living life because it's so it's it's such a cocoon sometimes the 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 tour mode is a cocoon, but the whole industry is a bit of a cocoon, you know, and and so it's, it, it becomes like you see it all the time with bands that become super successful and then their work becomes less and less relatable and more and more insular. And I think it's just because they're some they have, kind of monster. <laughs> well, well I was going to say perfect example. Poet, yeah. a poet and rocker. Exactly. Talk to Lou Reed about <laughs> yeah. that. Did he excel in both? I mean, that's up know, for debate. Some kind of monster. I what think, if I don't like either aspect <laughs> of Lou Reed? <laughs> One of my favorite moments in that brilliant film is when they're all sort of deciding first of all to write the song after they're already in the $30,000 a day studio yes. and they've got the pad of paper going around and they're kind of brainstorming ideas and someone says my lifestyle determines my death style and when he says that instead of that's Kirk Hammett of, by the way of, let's, of, get, let's credit where credit is due <laughs> okay yes. I was gonna say but instead of his bandmates you know either vomiting or criticizing him or walking out of the room he gets immediate approval and they're like, yes, that's it. Let's go with it. That's the hook. Let's make it. The next thing you see, he's singing it. My lifestyle determines my desktop. And only, only a vapid, insular, solipsistic lifestyle could believe that that yeah. lyric, A, makes any sense or right. B, like, belongs yeah. in song. Like, you know, and I, you know, I'm not saying, like, I loved early Metallica. Like, I don't know if they were very much of a, a lyrical force ever, really. Oh, but I would give them uh, credit. They were yeah. a great lyrical <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, see, this yeah. is... And Metallica... Fucking fates of Black. Ugh. Metallica, like, that right. apart, uh, lyrically. Yeah. Metallica comes up a lot on the podcast because they yeah. are this example of this, like... I mean, they come up all the time in terms of, you know, like you said, I, I like older, you know, like their earlier stuff. And sure. when right, they the were lightning. 20, you know, 22 years old and like tell that to them and what are they going to say? Like, how do you react? Right. But I think, you know, they have who's the, when was the last time someone's to- sold a member of Metallica? No. Right. You know, they've right. been and they've been told yes since their early 20s. Right. So they never necessarily they've been Stephen King their whole life. We're like, that's where I'm like, Stephen King is an amazing writer. But he needs an editor, right? Yeah, because right. who's going to say Stephen King? Maybe yeah. this book would be amazing if it was five hundred to eight hundred pages, <laughs> right? 
as opposed to like 1,200 <laughs> to 2,000. Life is a lot of like getting said no to, and it's a lot of not getting what you want. It's a lot of setting an alarm for 6 a.m. when you go to bed at yeah. 2. You mm-hmm. know, it's all, all of that shit that like, you know. Compromise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not like having a tour manager coddle you and tell you where you're supposed to be next. And so I do think like there is some value in the fact that like we're as musicians like having to seek these other kinds of like life experiences. And I think it can make music better. But, you know, it also means you have to be like super committed to making the music happen. Well, I think what's what's ultimately really fascinating is that those very lyrics, my lifestyle determines my death style, yes. really apply to you <laughs> and all of us act maybe they're a little more i'm i personally am unaware of what my death style will be but i'm i'm, I'm more than willing to hear your prophecy yeah. um well i'm listen actually that the perfect segue into a question we've been asking our guests lately sure what's the worst thing about you professionally Publicly, I don't know why it's emotionally, about, personally, <laughs> that you'd like to change. Oh, interesting. Um, that will hopefully not affect your death style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's so many to choose from. Um, yeah, I think this is probably kind of where, where like, which fits into kind of what I'm trying to consciously say with music, but. I think I have a tendency to be impatient a lot and that like not only applies to like wanting to see, um, you know, a, car- a music like career or record like come out earlier, or, like do better, all that stuff or a song be finished earlier, but also, you know, I want for people to finish their sentences faster. It's like it turns right. me into a rude person, <laughs> you know? So like I think that like having kind of more, um, patience, which also comes with like some amount of like, I don't know, as Leonard Cohen called mm. a state of grace of just like not trying to, uh, not trying to drive, but just surfing whatever wave. A wise around. man once said, yeah. patience is a virtue. <laughs> yeah, and I believe true. that man, yeah. Kirk Hammett. That was, uh, <laughs> that's on a motor breath, right? Yeah, from the first, yeah. uh, I always thought it was Mark Twain. I, <laughs> so Jared, yeah. uh, I mean, this has been a, a fascinating conversation, a lot of yeah. philosophy in here, which is another, it's, uh, it's, it's an avenue that we like to take every once in a while. Um, some, you know, the, the, the path you are on, uh, this lifestyle, as they say, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, is is one that we haven't had on the show in, in that I that I can think of offhand, but the balance between um, the job and music uh, will really determine your death style. <laughs> so with that, to bring this full circle, yeah, a question that we ask all of our guests: What do you think of the word gig? I think it's meaningless at this point. I mean, do I do I? I don't know. I'm going to pause. You can edit out this very long pause. I'm going to pause for 10 mm-hmm. seconds now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good answer. Perfect. <laughs> on that note, uh, a, a lot going on. I'm glad that we were uh, able to make this happen. Yeah. Um, I know you have a report due on my desk at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Yeah, so got to get those TPS. You, you got you to yeah. get working on that stuff. In the meantime, before you can do that, you just got to get home safe. I will. I'll have that car service that you guys uh, have arranged for me. Yeah. <laughs> Worst gig 